Welcome to the Centerpoint Church podcast. At Centerpoint Church, we are a community of believers impacted by God's saving grace and the love He demonstrated in Jesus Christ. Our response to this amazing grace is to allow it to transform our lives and to share it with others. As a body of believers, we find our purpose in knowing Christ, growing together, and reaching beyond ourselves to help others do the same. As we continue our Back to Eden series, you're invited this week to rediscover your purpose in Christ. Turn around and look into the face of Jesus. See how he delights in you, and in turn, his glory will be reflected in you. I want to wish you all a happy Father's Day, Um, but I realize not all of you are fathers. More than half of you are not fathers, Um, but all of you have a father. And I've been blessed with a wonderful father who has loved me and encouraged me well. Um, He spoke life over to me as I was growing up. And I also know that that might not be your story. A few weeks ago, my friend Gail Ashmore um, preached and she spoke about the baptism of Jesus. And I want to remind you of what the father spoke over the son as, as Jesus emerged from the water. So the heavens opened. And the Spirit descended, and the Father spoke, and this is what the Father said. This is my Son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. I realize that these words, words like this, might be unfamiliar to you. Maybe words your Father rarely have ever spoke over you. And their absence may have left a void in your life, and you feel that void. And this idea of delight, which is what we're talking about in this series, this idea of delight that God delights in you is just that. It's, a, it's an idea. It's a concept. Something that you might know about, but you don't experience. You don't have handles for. But I want to remind you today that the, the Father speaks these same words over you. If you are in Christ, you are adopted as a daughter. You are adopted as a son. And when God the Father looks at you, God says, you are my daughter. You are my son. I love you. With you, with you I am well pleased. I delight in you. My invitation to you this morning is that you would let your guard down and let these words of life in. The Father loves you and delights in you. May the Father's love and delight be a healing balm to your heart, to your soul today. I have the privilege of being a father. I have two wonderful kids whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Um... It's been fascinating to, to walk with my kids through all these different stages. It's uh, interesting. It's uh, challenging. Sometimes it's really delightful. And I want to I remind you of one of those stages that, that I've gotten to walk through uh, with my kids. Uh, it's called the curiosity stage, or at least that's what I named it. Um, are you familiar with the curiosity stage? It sounds something like, why, why, why? Have, are you, so it makes landfall like a hurricane, sometimes between the ages two and five, and, and every conversation um, seems to have a question at the end of it. For the uninitiated, it, it goes something like this. You're trying to do something normal, like 
finish a meal. <laughs> One of the miracles of parenting. And you're at the table and, and you ask your, your son or your daughter to eat their green beans and they say, why? Hey, Warden, they say, that's right. We, we understand how this goes. And I say, well, because it's good for you. And they say, why? And I say, well, because they're rich in vitamin C and beta carotene, of course, which is good for your body. And they say, why? Well, beta carotene is an antioxidant that helps fight inflammation. And it's rich in folate and also potassium, which is great for your blood pressure, which is great for your heart. And they say, why? And at this point, every parent that's ever lived ends the conversation the same way. Do you know how this conversation ends? I think you do, because I said so. Uh, eat your green beans. Why? Because I said so. All right? It's 7 o'clock. It's time for bed. Because I said so. But we can't fault our toddlers for being curious. Curiosity is a gift, a gift I want to invite you into this morning. The brains are developing of these little people, and they're soaking up all kinds of information like a sponge in an attempt to make sense of the world. We've been trying to make sense of the world for so long. And children are very curious about everything, and they're armed with a powerful transformational question. Why? As adopted daughters, as sons, I want to invite you to be curious with me this morning. To ask the question, why? In order to make sense of the world, to see things as they really are on this side, because we are on this side of the resurrection of Jesus. And that changes everything. So what is delight? And, and why? Why are we talking about it so much? The dictionary says that delight is extreme pleasure, satisfaction, joy. When you think about God, or, or maybe more importantly, when, when you think about how God thinks about you, is delight what comes to mind? Extreme pleasure, satisfaction, joy. Is that what comes to mind when you think about how God thinks about you? If not, why not? And, and why are we in this series called Back to Eden? So if you grabbed a worship guide on the way and it says Back to Eden, what's this about? Well, well, this is an invitation to remember. To remember a long forgotten truth. In his delight, God created you. In his image, God created you. And when God saw you, he said, it is very good. Why Back to Eden? To remember what was in order to understand what is and to look to what will be. So if this is true, if we were created very good, what happened? Why aren't we still walking with God in the cool of the garden, delighting in God as God delights in us, free from shame? What happened here? Why aren't we with God? Why did Jesus have to die for us to live? Why do we need to be adopted at all as daughters and sons? Why is it that we're called a new creation? What happened to the first creation? What happened in, in the space between these things, between that time and this time? What happened? Our scripture this morning comes from Genesis chapter 3. We're going to read the first 10 verses together. And this is what I want you to look for. This is what I want you to watch for. This is what I want you to see. Pay attention to the eyes 
of Adam and Eve. Now, I understand that you can't actually see them. You have to listen with your ears to pay attention with your eye. But, but think about where they're looking. Would you try this with me? Pay attention to where their eyes lead them, because I think our eyes still lead us. Pay special attention to their bodies, their movements, how they position themselves into relationship or in proximity to God and why they do, and then maybe be curious about your eyes and your body and your position in relationship to God. So before we go to God's word, let's ask the Holy Spirit to open our hearts to it. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, may your word be our rule, your spirit our teacher, and the glory of Jesus, the glory of Jesus, our single concern. Amen. We're in Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. You're welcome to follow along in your preferred electronic device, a Bible if you brought one with you, or it'll be up here on the screen as well. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say... You must not eat from any tree in the garden. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw... When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. The eyes, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard The sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. Church, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God created us in his image, and he created us very good, and God created us free. We were created with purpose, and our purpose was to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And in our freedom, we lost sight of our purpose and exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Why are Adam and Eve listening to a talking serpent? A great question, I don't know. Maybe because it was a talking serpent. I don't know, it seems novel. Why are they listening to a talking serpent? I don't know, but, but as they listen to the lies of the liar, their focus shifts from the purpose of creation to belief in the lie. Before sin enters the world, Adam and Eve see creation through the lens of the creator. They see that creation is good. And creation is designed for fellowship with God. Creation is the context in which we glorify God and enjoy him forever. When their eyes are open, their hearts 
were blinded to the purpose of creation. And instead of seeing creation as the context for fellowship with God, they now see creation as an end in itself. They now see material reality as the end point and purpose of creation. They now believe that what is seen with the eye is all that there is. And this creature is created for fellowship with God. Our souls defined, designed to find rest in God. We now believe the lie. We now look to creation, to created things for fellowship, for fulfillment, for rest. Instead of seeing the world in the context for which it was created, glorifying and enjoying God, we now see it exclusively in terms of bodily existence, transient pleasure, and physical survival. Why do Adam and Eve see themselves as naked? Because they see themselves as they now are. Vulnerable. Choosing to exist outside the purpose of creation and apart from fellowship with God. Why? Why do we feel shame? Because a life stripped of divine purpose is not pretty. It's not. When the goodness of creation is perverted into the purpose and meaning and pursuit of life, when the physical and perishable become the measure of all things, creation itself testifies against us that this is not good. This is not the way it was supposed to be. And I think in our heart of hearts, I think we know. We know that seeking deathless power that seeking life in, in anything other than God is a futile pursuit. I think we know, and I also think we commit ourselves to it anyway. As painful as it is, would you open your eyes and look with me at this tragedy? It's truly and utterly devastating. Church, your life has purpose beyond what you can even imagine. And instead, we choose purposeless existence. We choose, we insist on elevating the finite creation into ultimate idols, and we're just factories of idol-making. Why did they sew the fig leaves together? What was that about? I think to separate themselves from God. I think we do it in our own way to separate ourselves from God, to protect ourselves from God, to attempt to hide our sin from the holiness of God, to clothe ourselves, our attempts to clothe ourselves with a greater moral purpose. It's, we know we need it, so we try to make it. We put on, and we put on, and we put on, and you probably do too, right? You put on to hide our true selves, to dress up our sin. We take on the burden of provision as if the material world is the final truth that governs human life. Can you see why the idol of materialism it comes so naturally to us? We believe that the things we possess, 
The things we wear, the things we have give definition to our lives. We believe this all the way back then. Can you see? This is a flimsy attempt to provide a sense of status and purpose in a world where we believe that the physical and finite are the measure of all things. We created a hamster wheel, and we don't know how to get off. That leaves us striving and struggling and comparing and ultimately empty and bankrupt. In each one of us, there is, I think, a latent muscle memory. There's something deep in its purpose. There's latent muscle memory of purpose. We can't quite put our finger on it, but it's there. We know it in our bones that we were created for more. But in our minds, the material world is all that there is. So our eyes are constantly searching and and searching for something greater, for something worthy of our worship, something greater than anything else that can be conceived. So out of the dust of the earth, we we scrape together idols. We, We scratch in the dirt to create golden calves capable of transfixing our eyes. But as created creatures, we are not capable of creating anything that satisfies. We cannot create an idol that has the power to become the living center of our lives, the thing our hearts are in search for. Like sandcastles on the seashore, we build and we create, but nothing lasts and nothing satisfies. Nothing can take the place of the purpose for which we were created to glorify God and enjoy him forever. This purpose remains just out of view and far out of reach. Why does God call out to us in the garden? I think this is how God responds to our sin, with grace, with mercy. This starts at the very beginning. Sin has blinded us to a purpose. It's like having 2200 vision. It's the definition of legal blindness. You can't read the top letter on the chart. That's 2200 vision. It's not that we can't see at all, it's that we can't see very far. Not very far past ourselves, anyway. We've become the whole world. And we no longer look to God or, or beyond ourselves for much of anything. So God calls out to us and draws near to us. God gets into that narrow field of view to force the issue, to get right up into our business, to say, here I am. And our response is to turn our backs and to walk away. The default direction of human life is with our backs turned toward God. So the the punishment that we receive is to have what we have chosen. The punishment that we receive is to have what we have chosen. And what is it that we have chosen? We choose the knowledge of good and evil. We choose the futile pursuit of physical pleasure to satisfy infinite longings. We choose the responsibility of providing for ourselves and securing our own survival. We choose a life built on the hope that the lie just might be true. That we can find purpose in life apart from God in the created world. 
the hope that something other than God can bring us from death to life. In our sin, as God draws near to us, we turn our backs and run from God. As we pursue this self-willed expulsion, why does God clothe us with garments of skin? In verse 21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Why did he do that? God again shows his mercy and grace to them. I love this. One commentator writes this. um, The story of salvation is a series of gifts shaped by what God wants for us. The story of salvation is a series of gifts shaped by what God wants for you. I think that salvation starts right here. The pathway back starts right here. But this gift comes in the form of a limit. Scholars much smarter than me have put a lot of time and thought into this. How can can leather clothing, which further separates us from God and better prepares us for life without God, how can that be a gift from God? I believe that this gift represents the limits of our lower appetites. So what's a lower appetite? It's our, our limits of being human, of being mortal. Limits like, like hunger and thirst, fatigue and frailty, distraction. These limits act like a governor on our engine of self-destruction, keeping us from fully living into the lie, fully pursuing the lie without any limitations at all. God's grace to us comes in all kinds of ways, and we tend to receive these gifts probably like they receive the clothing, with apprehension and suspicion. These gifts appear to be, to us at least, to be foreign and unfamiliar because they do not naturally occur in the world we've now created, broken by sin. We don't see them in nature. God delights in you. He's delighted in you from the very beginning. Why then is it so hard to receive the delight of our Creator? Why do we struggle to receive this gift from God? Maybe because we've spent our entire lives believing the lie, believing that the lie might be true, that the only place where delight is found is in creation, not in the Creator. John writes, for everything in the world, the cravings of sinful people, the lust of their eyes, and the boasting about what they have and do comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Our sin has given us 2200 vision. We can't see past ourselves. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus and the gift of the Holy Spirit, the veil that separated us from God has been torn in two. This is what Paul writes. Their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But, when anyone, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. 
Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit is, there is freedom. Do you see how we're being remade? And, and we, who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. Do not lose heart, church. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. For while we are in this tent, while we are in this body, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed or to be clothed with our heaven, but we wish to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Do you see what God is doing? Do you see what God has done? Can you see what Jesus has done for you? For God so loved the world. God so loved you that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Church, the night is nearly over. The day is almost here, so let's put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Look with me, peek with me at the future. These garments from the garden that have become so familiar will be cast aside, and God will clothe us in robes of white that have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Once again, Once again, we'll be before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will will spread his tent over us. We will be cared for and provided for and sustained. We'll be made whole again. Never again will we hunger. Never again will we thirst. The sun will not beat upon us, nor any scorching heat for the Lamb At the center of the throne will be our shepherd. Once again, Jesus will be the living center of our lives. This is the way it was meant to be. This is what we were created for. Once again, Jesus will be the living center of our lives. The lamb will be at the center of the throne. He will be our shepherd, and he will lead us to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Salvation is a series of gifts, the greatest of which is Jesus. Here's my invitation to you this morning. Turn around. Stop walking away and turn around. Open your eyes and see him. Look into the face of your Savior, Jesus and see how he delights in you. Let go of the lie. Take hold of the truth. Let the Holy Spirit fill you with purpose again, the purpose for which you were created to glorify God and enjoy God forever. Why delight? Why does God delight in you? How do I know? Because God said so.
Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you. Vulnerable. Naked. Blind. Stuck. And Spirit, I pray through the power of your work within us, through the the gift of Jesus who has saved us, all we have to do, as you've called out to us, is to answer back and say, Jesus, you are Lord. I see you. Save me. And you do. God, would you give us the courage to turn around, to look into Jesus' eyes and see his delight and be undone, to be recreated into who you've called us to be from the beginning. God, when we think about who you are and how you see us, instead of all the things that naturally come to mind as we try to hide and put on, God, I pray a new thing would come to mind. Front of mind would be your delight in us. That as we think about you and how you think about us, the first thing that comes to mind is delight, that you have joy in us, that you delight in us. And God, that we'd live out of that strength in that place. God, make us courageous to take the delight, the glory, that it reflect right off of us to the world and that we would be heralds of the kingdom of God, that we would be so excited about who you are and how you love that you would draw us to all people and share this good news of Jesus Christ with the world. It starts with us seeing you once again and being saved by the grace of Jesus. So Holy Spirit, we pray. As we walk into our week, we walk turning toward you. And we walk courageously to others who need to know you. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Centerpoint Church Podcast. Be sure to keep up with us on social media at facebook.com slash wearecenterpoint or on Instagram at wearecenterpoint. We hope to see you soon in person for worship this Sunday at 930.